From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 73. Today's guest is one of the rising stars in the game today. He made his major league debut at the age of 21, um, and we've been fortunate to work with him at Cressy Sports Performance Florida since his high school years. So this is going to be a fun discussion because we can speak a lot to his development that happened behind the scenes, things that you don't hear about or see on TV, um, but you'll realize this is a guy who works not only hard, but works smart and really asks good questions and is a student of the game. So I think this is going to be a show that everybody really benefits from. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas. Energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's a zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based, sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or added sugar. Um, really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, um, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, personally, I love it for, for obviously our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, on a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, we split our time between two states, and, and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, so life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens um, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's, it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, they've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Today's guest was born to Venezuelan parents in Peru and moved to South Florida at the age of one. As a left-handed pitcher, he committed to the University of Miami, but chose to forego his college baseball career when the Washington Nationals drafted him in the third round of the 2016 MLB draft. He underwent Tommy John surgery in March of 2016 prior to that draft, so his professional debut was delayed until June of 2017. A month later, he was traded to the Oakland A's, and in 2018, he climbed all the way to AAA after posting a 10-5 record with a 2.88 ERA and 129 strikeouts and 30 walks in 109 innings over three levels. These performances were recognized as he was named to the Texas League's mid- and postseason all-star teams and he was selected to participate in the MLB All-Star Futures game. He made his MLB debut on September 11, 2019, as he pitched three scoreless innings in relief against the Astros. He appeared in six games that September for Oakland, putting up a 1.50 ERA with 16 strikeouts in 12 innings. He also threw three scoreless innings in the American League wildcard game. He made the A's opening day roster for 2020 and is now a member of their starting rotation. 
please welcome to the show, Jesus Lazardo. Welcome to the show, Jesus. Hey, Eric. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. So I'm not sure. I've, I have to look. You and Soroka might be tied for like the youngest guest that we have had on the podcast. So that's a, that's a good, you're in good company. Yeah, definitely. Nice bet in your cap. All right, man. So to that end, you are a guy um, who's wise beyond your years. You know, I've, I've heard that not just from the people we have in-house who have interacted with you at the facility, but also guys who have interacted with you, um, you know, in pro ball, guys who played with you um, or, or managed you slash coached you. Um, one of the things that I always thought was really intriguing is you, you worked out with us in high school and you were never phased by being around big leaguers, you know, as a high school guy at our facility or even in like your early minor league career when you came in. Um, was that something that you feel like is just the, you know, specific to your personality or is it something that you were really making a conscious effort to like get locked in so that you didn't ever get starstruck and, and miss those learning opportunities? Uh, I feel like it was kind of just like a part of my personality. Uh, but at the same time, I do think, uh, I did make a, a conscious effort of, you know, when I was around those guys, especially like at a young age, like you said, when I was in high school, it was more of just kind of like taking in what they said, or what they said, or how they did certain things, how they went about their business. And I was like always quiet and kind of shy. So I didn't want to like bug anyone or go up to anyone, mm-hmm. but I was just kind of observe. And I think that helped me uh, as I got older. Do you remember, like, I, I talked to, like, uh, Mike King and Justin Dunn, and they talked about, like, a conversation with Scherzer in the dugout one day at Palm Beach Gardens High School where they, they, they learned a lot about sliders. For you, were there, were there any of those, like, really impactful conversations with, you know, big league veterans that you were around that you thought helped you? Um, I honestly never talked to anyone necessarily about pitching, but I remember talking to Miles about, I don't know, he was doing some lift. Um, I was still in high school. I just remember him doing some lift it was like some some lower body lift and we were just talking about it and he was talking to me about you know him being explosive here and uh and you know i was telling him how he was a good athlete because i think he like he was touching the ceiling at the old at the old uh uh gym we had so i mean it was just certain little things like that like talking to guys i think i talked to scherzer for like a couple minutes uh you introduced me to him that was like right when i got drafted so i mean cool little things like that that not necessarily were about uh, pitching or baseball, but that definitely kind of stuck with me. I feel like Miles Michael is who you're referring to. Miles secretly became a a legend to a lot of like high school guys because he would always fish in the morning and then come in lift a little bit later when the high school crowd was in instead of being there with a lot of the pro guys. So yeah, he probably shared that wisdom with a lot of guys. Um, so you know, to that point, uh, you know, I. I uh, I always you know kind of cite you as an example of a guy you know obviously so you you had Tommy John um, during your senior year like in the in the the draft process of the, the countdown I think you were four or five starts into your your high school season in your senior year um, before it blew out and I look back on it and you were a guy that made crazy progress junior to senior year I mean you know I think we, we often joke about how you were you were left off the Team USA roster going into your senior <laughs> year and then. You know, you're probably the fastest guy in that draft class for the big leagues. So I'm, I'm curious, um, like, as I go back and look at it, like, I don't think we would have done anything different with our training. Like, you bought in, you changed your body, you you ate better, you got stronger, you threw harder, and the, st- the ligament still went. Um, so I'm curious, when you when you look back on your development in the youth ranks, like, what would you have changed? Do you think that that w- was preventable in that time? Uh, Well, like you said, like, definitely going into my senior year, I kind of just really bought in. Uh, with like your guys' program and like really took the lifting seriously, really took the nutrition seriously. So in terms of that and um the all the arm care stuff we were doing, I think at that point the damage was already done. 
uh, from when I was like younger, uh, probably early in my high school career. Um, just, you know, I was focused on, uh, you know, you, uh, as a young kid, you always want to go to those perfect game events and, you know, you want to be on those lists and this and that. But now looking back at it, I kind of wish, you know, I, I wasn't so focused on, you know, summer ball and not that I didn't have a good time because I, I, you know, I love summer ball and it was a great time for me and met a lot of good guys, but it was just, uh, in terms of my arm and, you know, how much it was used at a young age. Um, that's probably one thing I would change or maybe not pitch as much until I got to high school or, uh, you know, as I, I got more developed because my body didn't really change until I was 17, 18 years old. So I guess, um, the damage done to it before when I was, I was 17, 18, when I, once I was already grown, then that's, you know, it was kind of irreversible at that point. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it speaks to, we, we had a, a Dr. Chris Ahmad from the Yankees on a, a previous episode and, and we talked about this a little bit and I know Dr. Andrews who did your surgery has been outspoken about it. Like we'll often see, you know, guys who come in and have Tommy John at 18, 19, 20, or even, you know, further into their career where they, they have calcification on the ligament. And it's kind of an indicator that there was a low level injury earlier in their career when they were, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever it may be. And, you know, they get some arm speed, they put on some body weight, they get bigger and stronger. And all of a sudden the ligament kind of becomes that, that path of least resistance. So, um, you know, you're obviously a good example about it. Unfortunately, teams aren't necessarily uh, afraid of Tommy John. Now you were still able to draft it high and, and move quickly. I'm curious though, you, you've actually, you've been a guy that I've, I've leaned on to talk to some, you know, young guys who have come in who have had Tommy John and stuff. What are some of the big lessons that you share with, with other players you talk to who are going through TJ, who saw the success you had where you came back? Um, like what are the key lessons you think that, that folks need to be really cognizant of? I think, um, a couple of the big things that helped me was, uh, at the beginning, I was kind of looking at it as like a long-term thing and, and looking at it like, okay, in 13 months, I'll be ready or whatever it was, instead of kind of just going like day by day, um, which drove me crazy at some point. Cause I was saying like, you know, oh, I'll be ready next year. And then, you know, it, it takes a long time to get there. So when, when I would set certain goals for myself, you know, okay, I want to be throwing 60 feet. And then once you got to 60 feet, tell myself, I can't wait to throw 75 feet and just kind of go day by day. Um, that really helped me as well as just kind of gets to a point that you know you have to trust your your arm and you know that you know it can hold uh that was a hump for me that kind of took about like a week or two once I was about to get off the mound that it was kind of like you get to that point where you're scared to let go to really extend um but you know once you trust it once you let it go that first time and and you notice that you know you're pain free and you're feeling good then it kind of gives you a lot more confidence going on did you lean on like any, any veterans throughout the process? Like I've seen that work well for guys and, and others where it didn't, where, you know, um, you know, you have a, a guy who's been through it and tells you that soreness is normal. And so you push through stuff and set yourself back. And I've seen other scenarios where that mentorship is great. Did you have guys that you know, kind of took you under your wing as they went through it? Uh, well, really, I, I didn't because I mean, I was a senior in high school. I didn't really know like yeah. many guys. I didn't know any guys in pro ball. I didn't know many guys in, in college ball. Uh, where I did my rehab, I, I, I went down south and, and, uh, mm -hmm. which to a guy who, who really did help me and, and he did give me some tips because he'd been through it with other guys. But in terms of talking to a player, I never got the chance to. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, I, I think one of the biggest mistake, misconceptions about like TJ rehab is that it's just this smooth process, right? It's a, it's a, a surgery with a high success rate. 
you know, guys come back, you know, pretty predictably in terms of timelines. And you very rarely hear about someone who's, you know, had a surgery that failed. But I don't think people realize that it's not always a perfectly smooth process. Like there are good days and there are bad days of throwing. Did you have hiccups along the way, um, you know, where you had to take an extra day? What, what did you learn as you went through the throwing program? Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely did have some hiccups and had to take a couple of days. Just um, I learned that, you know, you got to learn or to learn to listen to your body. Um, what certain days that you're not feeling too great, you probably shouldn't push it as much as, as other days that you know you can push. Um, I remember getting off the mound, my last bullpen before my first live BP, I felt like a little pop on my second to last pitch and my arms started like swelling up and, and, you know, kind of the same deal of when I tore it and I got all nervous and it was, it ended up being just scar tissue, but certain little things like that, when you have the doubt, the self doubt in your mind and, you know, you're scared of, of the pain coming back. Um, it's definitely tough. And I think the mental is as tough as the physical in terms of the rehab. So um, those are little blocks that I had, and I'm sure other guys have had as well. That's good feedback. Um, you know, I always tell guys, like, if you imagine a major league starter, right, in a normal season, not 2020, like, you're going to see 30 to 34 starts on a guy that, that pretty much takes the ball every five days. Like, and those guys are going to have a few clunkers in there, even the best in the business, right? Like, they might go out and give up a seven spot in the first inning, and that's that. Like, to expect somebody coming back from a surgery where they, you know, they do some pretty drastic changes to your anatomy – to be a hundred percent like consistent in terms of how they feel and how they perform is is totally unreasonable when when guys at the highest level the most you know refined mechanics and best routines aren't able to to repeat things exactly um, so the other thing I, I think you do really well and it probably it's served you well during the Tommy John process is you know is you tune out distractions right so you know I, I, one of the things I, I think somebody um, it was a previous in, uh, interview on like a pitching ninja podcast or something like that where they just you talked a little bit about the sacrifices you made right um, you know we all know that you know getting the big leagues at a young age is, is is not easy to do and you know if you have people that are pulling you in the wrong direction stuff like that in many cases it it sabotages those goals what are some of the sacrifices that you've had to make um, you know to, to be a big leaguer so young like things that you've consciously made a point of, of cutting out of your life whether it's experiences people or you know old habits that have that have allowed you to, to succeed so young uh definitely for me like coming out of high school um you know my friends were in college like that college lifestyle whether whatever it was going out or uh you know staying up late and just like that you know the the, the college lifestyle that you know, you got to experience everything. And uh, for me, it was just kind of like, you know, I'm, I was kind of focused on on what my goal was and, and what I wanted to do. And like, I knew that that for me wasn't going to help me, especially in a, in a short off season. You know, you have four months uh, in the minor leagues. I think it's a little more, five months to to get ready and be prepared to go back and, you know, play a full season. So for me, I was just always kind of really like, just locked in on certain things I needed to do. And a lot of my friends, I mean, Thankfully, most of my friends that I have now, um, I got them through baseball. So, you know, some of them are still playing, some of them aren't, but a lot of them, you know, get uh, why I do what I do. And uh, another thing that helped that was kind of that was actually a very big distraction was uh, food. So for me, like I'm just I love to eat food. And most people might think that food is not a distraction. But uh, for me, I mean, when I cut started cutting out certain types of food and, and started taking my nutrition more seriously, I saw certain changes in my body and certain changes in my game. 
Nice. Okay. So you need to elaborate on that because there are millions of moms and dads that want to deliver nutrition mem- uh, messages to their kids. And unfortunately, when mom and dad say it, they, it doesn't always resonate. When Jesus Lazardo, big leaguer at, at 21 says it, it's much more compelling. So what are the, what are the key things that from a nutrition standpoint that you modified, um, you know, to make those sacrifices? Yeah. Um, definitely cutting out like fast food. I mean, obviously you're young and whatever it is, you know, you're, it's late night and you want to go to McDonald's and like, I, I see nothing wrong with like a certain, you know, every once in a while, but, um, you know, when it be, when it becomes a habit or, um, maybe like before a game or, you know, you have a, a good, or whatever it is, a workout, or you got to go throw a bullpen the next day. Definitely like whether it's hydration, whether it's, you know, you got to get the right food in you, you got to get the, you know, so you can't, you can't be eating trash the day before you have to go perform because you're just not going to perform. And, um, just more, just trying to eat healthy, especially my senior year of high school. I was like taking like my, my lunch to school from home. I was like, trying to meal prep as, as good as I could. So, um, little things like that, that I really saw changed my body and, and they changed it for, for the good. Nice. I, I remember distinctly having a conversation with, with Steve Ciszek and Dan Jennings. Dan's now retired. Steve's still playing. And those guys are, are, are younger than I am, but it was the day after Thanksgiving, I think in like 2015. And all of us were in our, well, I mean, I was well into my thirties. Those guys were in their early thirties and all of us came in just like feeling lethargic and crappy the day after Thanksgiving. And we were reflecting on like how you used to feel awesome after you ate, you know, a lot of crappy food, like it, it recharged you, but there's a, a turning point at age 29 where there's somewhere around 29, where all of a sudden it just doesn't, it, it completely goes in the opposite direction. So the fact that you're able to learn that at a young age is, is super important. Oh yeah. I've, I've heard uh, plenty about that from, from some of the older guys around me. So I've learned at a young age. That's big, man. All right. So let's talk about moving through minor league baseball so fast. So um, I didn't even realize this till I went and looked this up as I prepared my questions. You went through 46 uh, outings in, in minor league baseball. I think it was like four, four, 43 starts and less than 200 innings before you got to the big leagues. Um, so what are the things that you feel like differentiated you, right? Because there are guys that throw hard. There are guys that have wipeout sliders. There are you know, guys who have good change-ups, but very rarely do they put it together and it moves so quickly. So what differentiated you? Uh, I feel like at a young age, uh, when I was in high school, I was always kind of like that smaller kid, didn't have a lot of velo. So I had to learn how to pitch with my change-up and kind of like locating my fastball. Um, I didn't have a very good breaking ball back then, but so I kind of learned how to pitch. So as I got older, I started throwing harder. It made it easier for me to kind of keep that same mentality of still pitching while uh, using that new velo that I had found. So once I came off of uh, TJ, which in that rehab, I really try to focus on my command because that was kind of like the last thing that came for me. Um, it just kind of made it easy for me uh, throughout the minor leagues. You know, just remembering that you still have to pitch. You don't, you know, even with this velo that you have, you don't have to just blow by everyone. And I think that's what kind of helped me get through it. Now, I'm curious, what were the, the things that you struggled to pick up the most? Like, what was the stuff that that, that made you better but was not easy to come by? Um, I don't know. A certain, uh, maybe my, my breaking ball was probably the hardest thing for me. And I, I still, to this day, like, struggle with certain times. You know, you might lose feel for it for a little bit. Um, I feel like my changeup was oh, has always been my best pitch. Um but my, my breaking ball for me took a little bit, took a little bit of work, especially th- uh, once I signed and 
uh, was going through that Tommy John rehab. I just kind of worked on on better mechanics through that pitch, and I think that helped me in all my pitches as a whole. Was there an adjustment like going from obviously high school balls to uh, to the pro balls as well, like with that breaking ball, or did you feel like the seams were were consistent enough that you were able to do it? There was definitely an adjustment uh, from high school balls to to minor league balls. You definitely had to make an adjustment. Um, not, not not really in terms of grip for me. It was more of just feel and uh, you know how I how I released it the way I, it came out of my hand. But and then from from double A AA to triple A, and now they're using big league balls. That was another adjustment you you have to get to. So um, there's a couple a couple of times that you know they kind of try you a little bit and and gotta you got to make some adjustments. Yeah. So let's talk about that breaking ball in like a little bit more detail. So. Um, inter- like early in your career, you were, you were a curveball guy, you know, high school, you threw a curveball as well, correct? Yes. And, and then now it's, it's pretty much straight up slider. And it's, it's even interesting when you go and you look at the numbers on it. Like, you know, you earlier in your career, you had sliders that registered as curveballs just from the way they were, you know, the metrics actually qualified them. So, um, I'm curious, you know, what, what were the big, um, aha moments with respect to your breaking ball? Like what's changed since high school, um, to both shift you from a curve to a slider guy? And then what are the different focus points on them? I think the, my biggest aha point was when I got to double A. Um, so in high A, I still in high A. And in short season rookie ball, my breaking ball was there, but it still wasn't great. Um, I got to double A and I threw, I was throwing a bullpen. I was talking to the pitching coach and we were kind of making like little tweaks like, Hey, try this, try this, try this, uh, with the track man, seeing what worked, seeing what would get me more spin rate. And we just kind of found, we just moved my thumb a little bit, uh, off to the side and just kind of threw it with a little more intensity, threw it with a little more like fastball intent. And we found the right one and it went from being, that 78 to 82 kind of slow over the top breaking ball slurvish to being more firm and, and definitely more kind of horizontal with a little bit of depth. Um, and I think that helped me because, uh, that's when it really kind of, I stopped calling it, uh, a slurve or a curve, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it became yep. sort of a true slider. Yep. Now I'm curious, like what's, what's the mentality on it? Is it trust the grip and, and throw the heck out of it or will you manipulate it? Uh, I feel like I do manipulate it a little bit. Uh, I, I definitely do trust it way more now than I did in the past. Now I am ripping it a little bit more uh, like a fastball, and it's just a little bit of manipulation instead of, you know, kind of for me before it was really uh, thinking about the grip, thinking about my hand placement. Now I don't think as much. That's good feedback. Um, and you also throw both a two seam and a four seam. So I know I actually had this conversation with um, with uh, both Kyle Hendricks and with um, uh, with Soroka. You know, a lot of guys have a hard time, you know, throwing both because they often blend in the middle, right? The spin axis is often going to be, you know, markedly differentiated on a four seam versus a two seam, and sometimes you wind up just throwing stuff in the middle, so it's a sinker that doesn't sink and it's a heater, you know, four seamer that doesn't rise. Did you find that there's a there's a different thought process for you throwing a two seam versus a four seam? Um, like, what what are the cues you're giving yourself for each? I think there is for me um, with my two seam. I kind of just think of really staying on top of it and really getting my index finger to uh, to the plate. That's for me. Like that's what works in my head when I say get my index finger to the plate and I kind of just stay on top of it. That pronation kind of takes care of itself, and and that's when I get that run and I get that sink um, on my four seam. When I just say like get behind it and I just get behind it and try to. Uh, spin like backspin it really well 
that's when I get kind of that ride or I could get that uh, top of the zone pitch. So that's for me, my four seam is more of always kind of my top of the zone or if I needed to stay in the bottom of the zone. But uh, my two seam is my go to for the most part. That's interesting. I feel like you see so many guys who throw a two seam who think that they need to be like around the side of the baseball. They have to like try to manipulate it that way or even like force the pronation earlier. Like you talked about just ripping down on it to some degree. Um, more, more so on the four seam, excuse me, but um, on your two seam, like you're actually thinking about like getting on top of the baseball. Yes, exactly. Yeah. For me, it's just if my index finger is on top and I, and I tell myself take that to the plate, then that's when I get that good sink and that kind of fade. That's that's good feedback. All right, so I'm also intrigued. I know you and Brian Kaplan, uh, my business partner in Florida, you guys smoothed smooth out some stuff with the delivery this offseason um, to feel like make yourself a little bit more consistent and obviously take some stress off your arm. What are the, the biggest changes for you, and, and what have you seen that's that's different in terms of the outcomes? Uh, yeah, me and Cap had talked uh, a good bit about pitching this offseason. The main thing we talked about was um, getting my foot down kind of earlier my foot was kind of just like hanging up in the air uh, as my upper body and my arms started to move. So for me, it was just getting that uh, plant foot down early and having like a wide solid base for my body to move and get over the top of it uh, instead of kind of just letting that leg float around and then land late and then have everything move at the same time. Blake Trinan, I know you got you guys have spent a lot of time together. I think his his line was, "You can't generate velocity until front foot strike." Exactly. So if it's just if it's kind of just hanging out, you're you're more than likely going to try to chase it from somewhere else. Um, so I'm actually really intrigued. Whenever you talk to like young pitchers who who have success in the game first early, but do you do you feel like you're you're in the process of like figuring out routines, or do you feel like it's it's something that you've actually established? Like you know, do you know your throwing program on a five day rotation? Like what what works best for you? Yeah, I feel like uh, in terms of like my throwing program, I know what works best. I'm a I'm a day three side guy. Like I know a lot of guys throw their their bullpens on day two. I like to go day three. I go uh, two days off. You know, get that extra day off rest. Throw a light bullpen, and then my arm bounces back pretty well. Uh, gives me two days for the fifth day start. But in terms of um, kind of like lifting and and stuff in between like that. I did have not not struggles, but it took me a little bit, especially throughout the minors, to kind of understand what I needed. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And I finally ended up realizing that I need a mobility day in there. I need a lower yep. body day. I need an upper body day. It's not just, yep. you know, let me get a full body and that's it or whatever, you know, some yep. other guys do. Um, I like to get in there. I like to get in the weight room in between my starts. I like to, to feel that sweat, to feel the hard work, because that, that for me mentally helps me when I get on the mound. I like that. So I'm curious when you when you talk about throwing a day three pen, how do you structure the rest of your throwing around it? So like day zero, you make your start. What are you doing on on days one and two from a throwing standpoint? So day one, I usually get out to like ninety or one twenty, um, just kind of like letting it get loose a little bit, uh, put some air under it, not really ripping it. Day two, uh, kind of go the same thing, one twenty, put a little more on it, throw all my pitches that day, get back to like having a good feel on all my pitches. Day three, long toss throw a light bullpen day four would be like a 90 120 kind of take it easy day get a good feel on all my pitches again as i'm coming in and then day five would be the start so long toss and pitch i like it yeah so t that was my next question is fill me in a little bit more about like the day of a start because i don't think people realize that 
you know, like this is, this is a place where you differentiate yourself too, is like being locked in and stuff. So like describe your, your routine, right? So say it's, it's a seven o'clock game time. What are you doing over the course of the day leading up to it? So, um, to get ready, I'm seven o'clock start. I kind of just take it. I go backwards. So that means I need to be, uh, in the bullpen by, uh, 645, which means I'm playing catch by 635. I'm out on the field by 630. Um, that means I'm starting my like stretching routine, um, in the, in the weight room, probably at like 555. And I get in the hot tub before that. So by 530, I'm already kind of starting to get warm. Nice. So actual throwing, right? So you, you, you mentioned that you're out at, uh, I think you said 635 in the outfield, um, after you've done your mobility, light sprinting, stuff like that. What's your actual throwing look like? You said you're out to 90 to 120, give or take. Uh, when I'm going to pitch that day, I'm, I'm long. Yeah. I go, okay. I'm probably stretching it out to like 200, 250, trying to really get out there. And, um, mm-hmm. it's for me, it's more mental, just kind of getting it out, feeling my lat and feeling yeah. that extension through my arm. I like it. Now, will you, will you take like aggressive pull down throws on the way back in before you, you know, you throw a brief flack on or before you go to the mound? Yeah. I throw every time I come in, I throw about, I would say four from uh 120 and then come in to 90 and throw my change apart a couple times as well nice and then once you get actually to the pen like what's the sequence of like here's the protocol for making sure everything's working before i go out and make that start Uh, i have a a little routine that i've had since uh actually since high school i'd always go three glove side fastballs three arm side fastballs then i would just go three change-ups go back to uh, uh fastball arm side up, a fastball, glove side up, three breaking balls, and then I'd go out of the stretch and kind of go from there, see what, you know, if I feel something's off, then I kind of go to it, lean on it a little more. If not, I just repeat that out of the stretch. I like it. All right, so we always do kind of a lightning round as we we get towards the end of the podcast, and I'm I'm curious to get your takes on this. Um, Who do you like to watch and why? Who do I like to watch? I like to watch Fernando Tatis play um, just okay. because he's electric. And, I mean, I've seen him play in double-A, but I've seen him play now in the big leagues, and it's 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 always fun. Nice. Well, what about, at, like, another arm? Like, who do you who do you look at and be like, man, that guy, I, I can learn a lot from or I'd love to have his stuff? Uh, Jacob deGrom. I, I can watch him pitch all day long just the way he uh, attacks guys. I like it. All right. What's more important, stuff or command? Ooh, uh, command. Nice. There's no right or wrong answer on this one because it's, I feel like it's like 50, 50 yeah. on all the guys. All right. Command. Give me a reason why. Just because I feel like if you throw the, the correct pitch, uh, where you want it, you know, I, it's tough for a hitter to, to hit a pitcher's pitch. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we had Euclid on the podcast last week and I asked him, you know, kind of a similar question. Like, who are the guys that gave you trouble as a hitter? And I expected, you know, him to say like hard, hard sliders or something like that. And he's like, guys who throw their heaters where they want to throw their heaters. Yeah. <laughs> Fastball command. So somebody said, all right, uh, I'm curious, favorite teammate and why? Favorite, favorite teammate of all time. It can be at any level. Favorite teammate of all time. Uh, oh, that's tough. I'll probably, to be honest with you, I'll probably go with like Sean Mania because he's just always, uh, he's always just like having fun. Guy's never negative, always likes to keep it light and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a good guy to have on your team and on your side. I like it. Um, what about if you could go back in time and give teenage Jesus Lazardo, um, a bit of advice, what would you tell him? 
um, stop checking the radar gun every time you throw a fastball. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I think there are probably a lot of guys who could benefit from that. Um, all right, and here, here's what I'm actually really intrigued, because we've had a lot of good conversations about this, the development over the years. I'm curious what you think the next step is for you to take a, another step forward in your development. Like, what is it that you want to prioritize next and, and work on? I think, um, for me, I, I, my main thing would obviously be health. Um, figure out something that can keep me on the field at all times. But, yep. I mean, apart from that, probably um, the development of a cutter. I've always been kind of stubborn on it, and I've always told myself that a cutter would help me. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued and I'm excited to be able to kind of try that out at some point in my career. Is the concern always that it's going to become the, th- the same thing as the slider if you're not careful? Yeah, exactly. My That's my main concern, and, and that's kind of why I've, I've stayed away from it for now, just because I don't want them to become the same pitch and I lose uh, one of them. I like it, man. Um, so this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. If folks want to check you out on social media, it's at babyjesus9, or excuse me, at baby underscore jesus9, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And they can obviously see you on TV in a major league park right now. Um, appreciate you, my man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, EC. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.